0: Carol Beckman. Good morning and happy Easter. The scripture passage today comes from the New Testament book of Hebrews and I will be reading from chapter 7 verses 23 through 28 and chapter 8 verses 1 through 2. Hear the word of the Lord. There were many priests under the old system for death prevented them from remaining in office but because Jesus lives forever his priesthood lasts forever. Therefore, he is able once and forever to save those who come to God through him. He lives forever to intercede with God on their behalf. He is the kind of high priest we need because he is holy and blameless, unstained by sin. He has been set apart from sinners and has been given the highest place of honor in heaven. Unlike those other priests, he does not need to offer sacrifices every day. They did this for their own sins first and then for the sins of the people. But Jesus did this once for all when he offered himself as the sacrifice for the people's sins. The law appointed high priests who were limited by human weakness. But after the law was given, <clears throat> excuse me, God appointed his son with an oath, and his son has been made the perfect high priest forever. Here is the main point. We have a high priest who sat down in the place of honor beside the throne of the majestic God in heaven. There he ministers in the heavenly tabernacle, the true place of worship that was built by the Lord and not by human hands. This is the word of God.
1: Thank you, Carol. I like your voice tone choices as you read. (laughs) Thank you very much. Uh, What a day. What a day. Best day of the year. Best day of the year. I have told you about this man before, but i 'm going to tell you about him again.
0: Uh,
1: I have an, an uncle my aunt is married to a man by the name of brendan Donahue, and he has a very interesting job. Um, brendan Donahue is the commissioner of the nba two k league, and what this is is this is a brand new league and it is a video gaming league. And what they'll do is they get teams of video gamers to face off against one another playing the the video game NBA 2K. And so what they do is they'll bring them into the studio in New York, and here's a picture of their studio in New York. And you have a team on one side, and you can kind of see their shirts are blue, and then a team on the other side, and their shirts are Green, and, and every single one of those is a professional video gamer playing this game, NBA 2K, playing as a team in NBA 2K versus one another. And this is big money because these gamers receive a salary and they get flown out to New York where they go to the studio and, and then there's playoffs and there's a national champion and there's all sorts of financial prizes for the champions. And so this is big business. And, and Brendan Donahue, my uncle is the commissioner of this league. He was in the NBA and then they moved him over to this new NBA 2k league. And recently I received a text from my mom and the text read this. She said, Carter had a really cool birthday. Now Carter is my uncle, Brendan's son. So Carter is my cousin. She said, Carter had a really cool birthday. And then she sent me this picture. All right. So take a look at that. Yeah, you're seeing it, right? Okay. Let me zoom in on Carter in the center of all those basketball players, okay? So there's Carter, who's sitting right next to Giannis, who's sitting next to Steph Curry. Yeah, you're all, go- you're all getting it, right? You're all like, wow, that's exactly what I did when I got the picture. And you can see that he had, so he got to go to the NBA All-Star game And he got to have his picture exclusively taken with Team Giannis. This is Team Giannis from the NBA All-Star Game, and and Carter got his picture taken. Now, the first question that goes to your mind is, how does a kid get to take a picture like that with an NBA All-Star team? How does he get to take a picture like that? And the answer is one of access. Because Brendan Donahue, as the commissioner of the NBA 2K League, has the access. And Brendan Donahue, as the commissioner who has the access, gives his son Carter the access. Carter can access Team Giannis at the NBA All-Star Game because Carter has the access as the son of Brendan, who has all the access he could want to the NBA. And when Brendan and Patty, my aunt and uncle, were out for Christmas this past year, I was sitting down and talking with them at a family gathering, and they said that they were going to go catch a Bucks game while they were in town. And I said to Patty, I said, what's it like going to a Bucks game with Brendan Donahue? And she said, well, he gets an all access pass. And I said, can I have that? <laughs> and, and she said, no. <laughs> I was like, oh man, that stinks. So one of these days I'm going to somehow ride Brendan's coattails into somewhere exclusive. That's a, that's a goal of mine. But Brendan has all of the access he could ever want to the NBA. And Brendan grants that access to his son, Carter, and that's why he can get a picture with Team Giannis at the All-Star Game. And today, we are talking about another son who has all of the access. Who is this son who has all of the access? Hebrews tells us, it says, But after the law was given, God appointed his son. "...with an oath, and his son has been made the perfect high priest forever. This son with all the access is God's son." That's the son we're talking about today, who has all of the access. And now it's easy when you read this to roll your eyes and go, ugh, Bible speak, jargon, again. There's so much Bible speak and so much jargon and so much theological gobbledygook in this book, right? And so it's really easy to roll our eyes. But this is the language that the author of Hebrews speaks. What does it mean when he says that the son is the perfect high priest? This son, with all the access, is the perfect high priest. First of all, what's a high priest? Why is he the high priest? And why is he the perfect high priest? When we talk about priests, because again, this is so theologically deep and weighty, when we talk about priests, we're talking about access, Priests were these people in the Old Testament who managed and facilitated the access to God. Priests were people of access. So if you were an Old Testament person and you wanted to access God, if you wanted to worship God or spend time with God or do a ritual called a sacrifice um, in the name of God, you would do all of those activities through this Access person called a priest because that priest managed and facilitated the access that you had to God. So they were intermediaries. They were like a go-between, a middleman between people and God because they were the managers of the access to God. Now, recently, Morgan and I just got into a series called Jack Ryan on Amazon Prime. It's based off of the Tom Clancy character and riveting. We're super into it. And um, there was this one episode in, John, uh, in Tom Clancy or in Jack Ryan where Jack gets called up to the director of the CIA's office... And so he goes up and he's waiting outside of the office and there is an administrative professional there who gets a little message on his screen and then he says to Jack Ryan, Okay, you can go in now. And this administrative professional is the manager of the access to the head of the CIA or the head of the yeah, the head of the CIA, because we can't just have anybody and everybody going into the head of the CIA's office. So he has an administrative professional to manage his access, manage his calendar, manage when he's available to meet with people, manage when he's off of the phone. So they can go in so somebody doesn't hear something they shouldn't hear. So the administrative professional is the manager of the access to the head of the CIA in the same way that these priests of the Old Testament were the managers of the access to God. They were intermediaries. They were middlemen, go-betweens. So if you wanted to commune with God and be with God in the Old Testament, you would go through this intermediary called a priest who would grant you access to God. And Jesus is the perfect son, the perfect high priest because Jesus has all access to God. Jesus has an all-access pass to God. And this is why he is the perfect high priest. Because he has all access to God. And what our author of Hebrews is going to do is he is going to lay out three reasons why Jesus is the perfect high priest. Why is he the perfect all-access pass to God? And the first reason why Jesus is the perfect all-access pass To God is that Jesus is sinless. Here's what our author of Hebrews says. He says Jesus is the kind of high priest we need because he is holy and blameless unstained by sin. He has been set apart from sinners and has been given the highest place of honor in heaven. So he is sinless. He is holy. He is set apart. And now he's going to contrast Jesus with these Old Testament priests. He says, unlike those other high priests of the Old Testament, Jesus does not need to offer sacrifices every day. They did this first for their own sins and then for the sins of the people. Why is Jesus the perfect high priest? Because Jesus is sinless. In the Old Testament, these priests, these managers of the access to God, they were just normal people. And so like anybody else, they were sinful. They were fallen. They were broken people and they had sin. But unlike the priests of the Old Testament, Jesus is perfect because Jesus is sinless. He is the human that we were supposed to be, but never were because of our sin. He lives the perfect life. He is sinless. These other priests of the Old Testament, they had to make sacrifices first for themselves because they're sinful people too. And then once they've taken care of their own sin, now they can make a sacrifice on behalf of the sins of the people. But Jesus doesn't have to make a sacrifice for himself because he is sinless. He is perfect. Secondly, Jesus is the perfect high priest because Jesus offers one single sacrifice one time. Here's what the author of Hebrews says. Unlike those other high priests, he does not need to offer sacrifices every day. They did this first for their own sins and then for the sins of the people. But Jesus did this once for all when he offered himself as the sacrifice for the people's sins. When Jesus dies on the cross, he offers himself as a sacrifice to God once and for all time as opposed to these Old Testament priests who had to offer sacrifices over and over and over again because they're sinful people. And so they would stand at the altar and they would make these sacrifices day after day, year after year, because they're sinful. And then they would make sacrifices for the people because the people are sinful. And we're all sinful over and over again. But Jesus offers himself once on the cross when he dies because he is perfect He is sinless, and that sacrifice on the cross is effective for all of the believers that come before Jesus died on the cross, and all the believers that come after Jesus died on the cross. He offers himself one time, which is effective for all time, for all believers. And Jesus is the perfect high priest, because Jesus lives forever. Here's what the author of Hebrews says. It says, there were many priests under the old system, for death prevented them from remaining in office. But because Jesus lives forever, his priesthood lasts forever, right? He lives forever, his priesthood lasts forever. Therefore, he is able once and forever to save those who come to God through him. He lives forever to intercede with God on their behalf. Jesus is the perfect high priest because Jesus never dies. He has risen from the grave, and now that he has come out of the grave and conquered death, he lives forever, so he is the perfect high priest forever. In the Old Testament, you had these priests, and they were from the tribe of Levi. And when you were a priest, it was a lifetime appointment. And then eventually, because they're human and everyone who is human is sinful, they would die. And when they died, you needed to appoint a new high priest. So their service would come to an end when they died. So we got to appoint someone else. It's like the Supreme Court, right? When you, get apply- when you get on the Supreme Court, it is a lifetime appointment till either you die or you can't do your duties anymore because your health has declined. And this is why, at one point or another, if we're all honest with ourselves, we've prayed the death upon a Supreme Court justice, okay? Right? Be honest that every single one of us in this room has the- that Thought has crossed our mind, praying the death on a Supreme Court justice, have we not? Anyway, so this priest, these priests of the Old Testament, they would die, and you would have to replace them. But Jesus went into the grave, and he comes out of the grave, and because he comes out of the grave and lives forever, he is the perfect high priest. We don't need to replace him, because he lives forever. And therefore, because he went into the grave, and because he came out of the grave, and because he conquered death, therefore he is able, once and for all, to save those who come to God through him. And he lives forever to intercede with God on their behalf. And this is what we're celebrating today. We are celebrating the fact that Jesus went into the grave, but he didn't stay in the grave. He came out of the grave and he conquered death. And now he lives forever because he has conquered death. And because he has conquered death, now those that come to him are saved. Those that are in Jesus live forever because Jesus lives forever. This is why he saves us. And this is what we celebrate today, folks, that the tomb is empty, that he's come back, that he didn't stay in the grave, that he's now alive, and that he lives forever. And this is why Jesus is the perfect high priest. He is the perfect high priest because he is sinless. He is the perfect high priest because he offers one sacrifice by dying on the cross once for all time. And he is the perfect high priest because he came out of the grave and he lives forever. This is why he is the perfect high priest. And this is why he celebrates those who come to him. This is why those who are come to him are saved. This is what today is all about. In the old testament, you had these priests who were the managers of the access to God. And if you would come to these priests through God, or if you would come to God through these priests, it worked. But they died, they were sinful, they had to offer sacrifices over and over and over again. And now we have the perfect high priest who is sinless, who offers himself once, and who lives forever. This is why Jesus is the perfect high priest, and this is why Jesus has all access to God, because he is the perfect son, the perfect high priest. What does this all-access pass that Jesus has to God look like? And what does this all-access that Jesus has to God mean to us as his people. And here's where we go to our gathering scripture that Amanda read. Hebrews four fourteen to 16 says, so then, since we have a great high priest who has entered heaven, Jesus, the son of God, let us hold firmly to what we believe. This high priest of ours understands our weaknesses for he faced all of the same testings we do, yet he did not sin. So let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. There we will receive his mercy and we will find grace to help us when we need it most. Now again, ugh, it's so theologically dense. It's so bible There's so many big lofty biblical words. But this is the language that our author of Hebrews speaks. He loves the Old Testament and that is his language. And this language that he's using is rich with temple language. He's thinking about the temple of the Old Testament when he writes this. And the temple of the Old Testament that he's thinking of is the temple that King Solomon built in Jerusalem. Now, here is a cross-section of the temple. If you look inside of it, there was this innermost room within the temple that was called the Most Holy Place. So if you think of the temple like God's house, the Most Holy Place was God's bedroom. And it was called the Most Holy Place because that is where God's presence was. That is where God himself actually lived. And now, if we zoom in on the most holy place, there's some there's a specific setup of the most holy place that's really important. So go ahead and zoom in, Daniel. Uh, the, there is a curtain that divided the most holy place from the holy place. So the the the, the room in the temple was called the holy place. And then you see that priest on the picture there, he would be standing in the, in the holy place. And then were he to ascend those stairs and pass through that curtain, he would pass into the most holy place. So that curtain separated the holy place from the most holy place. And then in the most holy place, there was this box called the Ark of the Covenant, which contained these relics or artifacts from Israel's history. One of those artifacts being the tablets of stone that the ten commandments were written on and then on top of the box it had this cover that closed the box and that cover was called the mercy seat or the atonement cover okay and so here is god giving moses instructions for how to build the cover of that box called the atonement cover or the mercy seat here's what god says to moses about building this cover of this box he says then make two cherubim from hammered gold and place them on the two ends of the atonement cover mold the cherubim on each end of the atonement cover making it all of one piece of gold the cherubim will face each other and look down on the atonement cover and with their wings spread above it they will protect it okay so those are the instructions two cherubim on either end wings spread out looking down and so this is a picture of the atonement cover or the mercy seat these two cherubim have their wings spread out and they're looking down at this top this cover that covered this box and then God says this, after you make the cover this way and you have the cherubim with their wings outstretched and, uh, and looking down at the cover, God says this to Moses. He says, I will meet you there and talk to you from above the atonement cover between the gold cherubim that hover over the Ark of the Covenant. This is the mercy seat. And what's so significant about the mercy seat? It is significant because it is the place where Moses would meet God because that mercy seat is God's throne. The most holy place it's God's throne room and the mercy seat atop the ark of the covenant is God's throne and the image is one of a subject coming to the throne of a king and talking to the throne or talking to the king who is seated upon his throne now there's something you need to understand about this most holy place is that this was an extremely exclusive place Because only one man could go into that most holy place. And only one man could go into that most holy place only once per year. And that man could only go into the most holy place only once per year, only after going through all these rituals and these sacrifices to be made pure, to be able to go into the most holy place and be with God. So that room is open to one man only, only once per year, only after doing all these rituals to make sure that he's clean so he can go in there. And when that high priest would go into the most holy place, this was on this day called the Day of Atonement. So every time the Day of Atonement would come around in the year, the high priest would go in to the the most holy place and when that high priest would go into the most holy place he would take the blood of the sacrifice that he had made and he would sprinkle that blood on the mercy seat on the throne of god when you go to lambeau field if you take oneida street and then Turn left into the parking lot off of Oneida, you will see the Oneida Gate, which is one of the most prominent gates uh, entering Lambeau Field. And immediately to the left of the Oneida Gate is the player parking. And this picture is taken inside of the player parking, and it's a fenced off area. And then there is the door that goes into the player facilities, which is on the right in this picture. And so players will have a transponder in their car, and when they pull up to the gate, the gate will read that transponder, and the gate will automatically open. And and the players will pull into the player parking and it's totally fenced off. And so, if you're an experienced um, autograph seeker, you will wait right in this corner by the gate, which is kind of near the player's entrance, and you'll wait for players to come in and out of there. And hopefully, one of them will be kind enough to walk over and sign some of your memorabilia. And these people are pros. I mean, they have, like, lawn chairs that they spread out. They got their whole bag of memorabilia and multiple Sharpies, so they're ready to go. Because when the player comes over, you got to be ready. And this guy was telling me one time when I was asking him about it, um, he was telling me that if you're usually the only players that sign are kind of middling to lower-level players because he He said when Jordy Nelson was on the team, he's like, yeah, Jordy never comes over to sign. Aaron never comes over to sign because it'd probably be a feeding frenzy if if Jordy or or Aaron came over to sign an autograph. But then this player, once they pulled into the player parking, gated off from the rest of us schmoes, they have to use a key card to get into the player facilities. And sometimes I just like to dream about what it would be like to make it into the player facilities. And they used to have this thing called FanFest, and this was like the holy grail of Packer fandom. Because you could meet with players and get autographs, and then they also took you on a tour through their locker room. But I think now they, had to, they don't do fan fest anymore because the NFL changed its rules where while the facility is accessible to players, you cannot have people in there, like the public. And Lambeau Field's player facilities are open 24-7 to players, so we can never get in anymore. Right, so it's this extremely, extremely exclusive place. Another story about Lambeau Field. I took the Lambeau Field tour a while back, and um, they have two tour guides. And one is the lead guide and the other is a helper guide. And the helper guide on the tour that we were taking was this charming grandmotherly type woman. And we walk into the elevator and she's got her key card ready and she's ready to punch in the elevator. And as we walked in, I jokingly said to her, I said, Mark Murphy's office, please. You know, like the president of the, uh, Mark Murphy is the president of the Packers. So I was like, Mark Murphy's office, please. And she smiled at me and she said, this key card could get us there, but only one time. (laughs) You get it? You get it? (laughs) Meaning, I would be promptly fired, right? (laughs) Because we can't have just anybody going up to the office of the president of the Green Bay Packers, right? So it is an extremely exclusive place. There's lots of exclusive places at Lambeau Field that only a small handful of people can get into. And I like to fantasize about getting in there somehow, someday, legally. But, um, yeah. (laughs) yeah. But I say all that to say that the most holy place is even more exclusive. Than any of those places at Lambeau Field. Because the most holy place is only open to one person. Only once per year. Only after undergoing all these rituals. And now we have this perfect high priest in Jesus. And now look at the language. Now that we know about the temple and God's house and the mercy seat. Look at the language that the author of Hebrews is using. When he talks about Jesus' all access pass. So then since we have a great high priest who has entered heaven. Jesus passes through that veil, separating the holy place from the most holy place. And he goes, he rises from the dead, and he passes through that veil, and he goes in to the most holy place. And not the most holy place in the temple, but he goes into the real most holy place, because he goes into heaven. He ascends to heaven where God actually is, and plunks down at God's right hand. He has entered the most holy place, the real holy place in heaven where God actually is. This holy place in the temple, this most, Place, that's just a copy. That's just a shadow. It's just a picture, a working model of what actually is happening in heaven where God actually is. Jesus has passed through that veil, and he has entered the real holy place by entering heaven. Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to what we believe. And now what does this mean that Jesus has passed through that veil and gone into God's very presence up in heaven, the real holy place? Now let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. Come boldly to that mercy seat. And what happens when we come boldly to that mercy seat? There we will receive his mercy and we will find grace to help us when we need it the most. Now that he has gone into that holy place, he has ripped open that veil, and no longer is the holy place only exclusive to one man once per year. Now the most holy place in heaven is open. The way is open to those that come to him. That is what the author of Hebrews is saying. I appreciate that. This is is a very emotional sermon for me, so thank you. When Mary Magdalene went to the tomb on the morning, on the third day, she went with bottles of spices, and she was going to anoint the dead body. And when she went to that tomb and she looked in that tomb, she did not find the dead body of Jesus. She found something else. And here's what John tells us she found. Mary saw two white-robed angels one sitting at the head and the other at the foot of the slab where the body of Jesus had been lying. When Mary looks into that tomb, she sees the mercy seat. She comes boldly to the throne of God because the way has been opened by Jesus. This means that God meets us here. God meets us at Jesus. And that's what we celebrate today. That because Jesus has risen from the dead, he meets us at Christ. That's who it's all about.
0: Let's pray.